Ooh, all right, y'all. We got my man, Jeff Gonzalez, in the house. Jeff Gonzalez is a former Navy SEAL. He is the head of education at the range, which is perhaps Austin's best gun range and educational center and place to purchase firearms. So this is a very interesting episode. We talk uh, quite a bit about um, Jeff's background, what he learned in the SEALs, um, a lot of key takeaways there. And then we dive into kind of a more nuanced discussion around what it means to take your own uh What's the best way to put this? Responsibility for your own safety. And uh, it's an interesting topic for sure. I'm sure it's going to ruffle some feathers. I'm sure it's going to uh, push up against some of our own inner feelings and ideas around how to navigate the world. And certainly as we reimagine um, what society actually is currently and what society is going to be in the future, uh, I'm, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. Most definitely. Um it's a fantastic podcast. I learned a lot in this one. I know you guys will too. There are a number of ways you guys can support this podcast. First and foremost, this episode is brought to you by Bovine Tracheal Cartilage by Ancestral Supplements. Ancestral Supplements makes New Zealand sourced nose to tail organ meats, bone marrow, and bovine tracheal cartilage in simple, convenient gelatin capsules. The life's work of Dr. John F. Pruden showed that bovine tracheal cartilage had unique and powerful effects on wound healing, immune conditions, joint health, and other conditions considered to be treatment resistant to conventional therapies. All of these conditions were immune in nature with the exception of the wound healing studies. According to Dr. Pruden, quote, bovine cartilage closely resembles fetal mesenchyme. Not sure if I'm saying that right. The primordial tissue from which muscle, bone, tendons, ligaments, skin, fat, and bone, more, bone marrow, the heart of the immune system, all develop, end quote. Bovine tracheal cartilage provided concentrated amounts of connective tissue, immunoregulators, and cartilage building blocks that are now missing from the modern diet. Visit ancestralsupplements.com slash Kyle and see what they can do for you. That's again, ancestralsupplements.com slash Kyle. You're going to get 10% off everything they have in store. I absolutely love bovine tracheal cartilage for many of the reasons listed there. We're also brought to you by uh, my favorite nootropic in the game. These guys are a company called Sovereignty, and they make a couple of products, one for the morning, one for the evening to help you sleep. And I'm talking about the one in the morning. It's called Purpose, and it's absolutely incredible. Uh, this is something that I use to wean off of caffeine uh, or wean off of coffee. There is a bit of caffeine in it, I think 75 migs, and then 75 migs of time released, which is exceptional. But the the... The truth is this product really sits alone in that it gives you energy, but it also, and it's a nootropic, but it also increases your HRV score, which is unheard of for anything that stimulates you. Um, and the way we verified this is I actually had the founder come to my house and they tested my HRV with something called HeartQuest that actually looked at brainwaves at the same time and found you know a greater degree of alpha and theta as well as beta, which is really cool to see like a balanced neurochemistry at the same time that I was feeling quite alert and in a ready state. Um, it's, I mean, there's nothing like it. And in fact, these guys know there's nothing like it. And one of the many reasons I love Sovereignty is that these guys are not afraid to get creative. And in an extremely novel offer for my podcast listeners, they're doing something called your favorite money back guarantee, which basically means if you don't like it, not only will they give you 100% of your money back, they will buy you your favorite nootropic or your favorite supplement. So 
100% money back. Plus, they purchase your favorite one as a replacement if you go ahead and roll the dice and try this one out. I know you guys are going to love it. Go to sovereignty.co slash Kyle. That's S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y dot C-O slash Kyle to grab your favorite CGN. And that's what this is. It uses a cannabinoid known as CGN that uh, really is remarkable in a league of its own, along with a, a lot of other adaptogenic herbs that have been proven scientifically to work. You guys are going to love this one just as much as I do. We are also brought to you by One Farm. One Farm is making the best CBD products on the planet using 100% USDA certified organic uh, farm out in Colorado. They use 100% CO2 extraction. They make everything from tinctures in low doses to high doses. It's full spectrum. That means you get every cannabinoid, all the terpenes, all the alkaloids that have been shown to help with a number of things, including immune system function. Uh, They have it for dogs. They have facial creams and night serums for the ladies or for the boys who want to look good. Uh, All the good stuff over at onefarm.com slash Kyle and that'll give you 15% off everything in the store. Last but definitely not least, Dry Farm Wines is a 100% organic and biodynamically sourced uh, wine company that goes all over the world looking for family farms that are single origin and doing organic and biodynamically farmed wines. These guys source not only the highest quality wine, but they also make sure that it meets a couple of standards. Number one, uh, no alcohol per volume is going to go above 12.5%. This is really cool if you like to have more than a glass of wine, but you don't want to suffer the next day. Uh, In addition to that, they make sure that every single bottle has one gram or less of sugar per bottle. So a gram of carbohydrates per bottle in many of these, a gram of sugar or less in every bottle. Uh, Just phenomenal. It's ketogenic. It's great. Uh, If I want to celebrate or have a glass of wine with dinner, I know I'm not going to suffer the consequences the next day. This is the only wine that I drink and they do a great subscription. If you go to dryfarmwines.com slash Kyle, you're going to get an extra bottle for a penny. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Kyle and you'll get an extra bottle for a penny with your order of Dry Farm Wines. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoy the show today with my dude, Jeff Gonzalez. Yes. Jeff Gonzalez in the house. Hey, what's up, brother? We got round two. Round two. (laughs) Yes. The round one that never quite made it. uh, Thanks to, I'd I'd love to make an excuse here on on sleep and all that shit, but we'll just say uh, a very, a very... Technical difficulty. Technical difficulty of not pushing the the your microphone button red light on so that uh, you just sounded like you. I was talking to somebody down the hallway. Oh, it's too bad too because we you know we had we had cancer figured out. We solved it. <laughs> we we solved, solved it in that last podcast. We solved many mysteries. <laughs> we solved many mysteries. The, the world is never going to know now. <laughs> yeah. And because we were riffing, there's no way to know. We can't we can't retrace that. No, no, that's for let, sure. I do want to try to retrace some of it for uh, sure as much as I can recall. Um, Plenty of good stuff to dive into here. Absolutely. Absolutely plenty. First, let's start as we do with everyone on the show. Want to get your background. Talk about life growing up. Talk Absolutely. about the military. Talk about um, just how you've come to be the person that you are today. Love to. So I was born and raised here in Texas, not too far from here, central Texas, the hill country. Um, I had a great life growing up. You know, now you take so many things for granted in, in many senses. And so especially right now with my kids, I'm just extremely grateful for the childhood that I had. Uh, that they are not having to deal with um, or what they're having to deal with currently that I didn't have to deal with when I was a kid. Um, I left the Navy. I left for the Navy, kind of like an interesting career path for me. I I played water polo and swam in high school. And so my my head coach 
pulled me aside one time and said that he thought I'd make a good pentathlete. And I had no idea what a pentathlon was. So I was like, okay. And I went off and started doing this pentathlete stuff. And in the process, that's when I first met some active duty SEALs who were stationed at Fort Sam Houston participating at the national, on the national team. That's where the national pentathlon team is headquartered. So it was kind of cool. I got the chance to meet them. Kind of was like, hmm, those cats look really different kind of thing. And I learned a little bit more about them. I'd also already started studying up on some of the fields that I wanted to pursue, but I hadn't made a final decision. I would say after that interaction, my decision was pretty much met. And um, once I graduated, I went training full-time for the national nationals for the pentathlon. I went to nationals, did really well for myself. It was junior nationals, so I did really well for myself. And then I left for the Navy literally right right after. Like I got done uh, with nationals, came home. Um, I remember the conversation I had with my parents went something like this. By the way, I'm leaving for the Navy in a week at the dinner table. And it was kind of one of those things where um, pretty much my mom's shock was very very easy to see. My dad, on the other hand, he was a little bit more reserved. And, uh, you know, we talked about it at the dinner table, but I, I had kept that kind of for my parents. I didn't tell them about it. And technically I wasn't legally of age to enlist. So I had to join through the delayed entry program to do that, to keep it from my parents sort of thing. And then of course, once, uh, once I turned 18 and once I, uh, finished the nationals, I was of age and I could go ahead and enlist on my own. And then I broke down and told them about literally a week before I left. So that was my uh, that was my departure from the family unit, if will, if you will, and I left for boot camp. Went from boot camp to A school. Went to A school to buds. Got to my team. Had an incredibly satisfying and amazing career. Uh, I I look back at it and I count myself very lucky. Um, you know, I, I literally dodged several bullets, made it out with uh, you know very few injuries, but was just in awe of my experience there. The uh, I look back at that and you know, you don't really value it at the time. I mean, you have certain values about what you're doing at the moment, but it's not until you can reflect, you know, years later and actually really appreciate it. And I think what I appreciate the most about the career was uh, it opened my eyes to the world and um, what what the world is really like. Like we have an idea but if you've never really traveled, and when I say travel, I don't mean travel to like the posh tourist places, but I mean travel the world, you really do get a sense for how good we have it here in the States. And um, then probably the most rewarding were, were it was the, the bond that I made with many of my teammates. Um, that, that kind of experience is what really forged, molded me into the, to the man I am right now. I had great leadership some of the guys that were just like legends in our community and i had them as my mentors i had them as my sea daddies and they definitely uh, that was still in the day when you know the um you could still get an ass beating for not doing the right thing <laughs> <laughs> so i was pretty lucky that uh, yeah that that worked because i was fairly stubborn and hard-headed which uh, is a character trait that I'm quite positive about right now. You know, that that has helped the tenacity that I have to try to finish something and get it done has been good, but it can also lead to bad in a sense. So I definitely got my ass beat on more than one occasion, but I'm grateful because it definitely shaped me in the way that I wanted to be and the way that I, and it shaped me in a manner that I didn't know I wanted to be at the time. 
Mm. Looking back at it, I'm like, oh, oh, so they did know what they were doing. Okay. Um, great career. Did a lot of things. I was on the East Coast as an operator, the West Coast as a as a buds instructor. So I'm very happy about that. I left the Navy and I started kind of like um, I didn't flounder, but my original path didn't work out for me, and so I had to kind of like shift gears. And I stood up, tried it concepts uh, right around the turn of the century, if you will. And, you know, we became a nationally recognized training company, I would say almost overnight. Like by 2003, we were, I spent more time on the road during like the first five to seven years of the Tricon history than I was deployed. It was nonstop in a sense. And I kind of questioned it too. I was like, why did I get out of the Navy if I'm going to be gone? Because the whole point behind me getting out of the Navy was because we wanted to start a family. And my first path didn't work out. So I had to jump to this new path. And now I'm like, shit, I should have probably just stayed in the Navy. But um, I'm glad I didn't because it turned into a phenomenal path for me. And uh, we're coming up on our 20-year anniversary this March. So this 2021 will be 20 years that we've been doing this. And just cannot, cannot, you know, and I say it a lot. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. And I think sometimes people just like, oh, he's just using that. But the truth is, is that I'm incredibly genuine when I say that because I have been very lucky in the mentors that I've had, the decisions that I've made, and the fortune that I've achieved. It's it's all, you know, I look back and it could have gone, could have gone any other direction. I could have been, you know, worst case scenario, could have been really bad. And I'm just very grateful that it has gone as well as it has. And that has put me in front of you. Oh yeah. <laughs> you, you, I mean, water polo, swimming, uh, pentathlon, you probably had some gifts from an endurance standpoint. Oh. And I, I think that combined with a, a stubbornness and a tenacity is, is exactly what's necessary to make it through buds. Not that I've ever done anything <laughs> like that. And I want to even pretend that, that my career has anything to do with the degree of difficulty that that is. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, what we share, what we, what the connection is, is the discipline. The discipline, you know, to get to your level that you were at required discipline and, and to get to my level required a similar type of discipline. You know, we, we, we might call it stubbornness and hardheadedness and tenacity, but it's, it's, it boils down to discipline. And that's, I mean, you know, like I can remember in high school getting up at, you know, before, you know, like what we used to call the butt crack of dawn and getting to the pool and starting to swim early in the morning, then go to school then after school, going back to the pool and swimming more, you know, I mean, for a kid in high school, especially when, you know, you start to discover girls and alcohol, it's like, well, this is getting in the way, you know, but you stay the course, you're disciplined because you want to, like, for me, I wanted to do well. I loved water polo. I freaking loved that thing. That, that sport was awesome because it was a great equalizer. Like it could match you and I up in the water and it equalized everything. You know, I was like, I could play. I could play I could play against my strengths, which were that tenacity in the water and not have to worry about somebody else's strength like size. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about it so as much. I still did, but it was it was interesting. And that taught me a lot too. I think the best thing that I could have done for uh, my my naval career was to have that background in in water polo because you know there were some times when you were scrapping underwater and it's it's a brutal savage kind of game under the surface like on the surface it looks cool under the surface it's like a freaking full-on three-minute round you know you're just getting the crap beat out of you under the waterline where the refs can't see anything you know so it's like it was it was challenging to to sustain myself in that sport 
and to go to that level that I did and and it did transcend well that that discipline um, plus there's probably a lack of IQ that also helped like not realizing <laughs> that I should probably not be doing these things that probably was another thing I gotta I gotta be honest there were some there's some of that probably going around too. And what were what were the events in the pentathlon? Oh, great question. So the the five events are running and swimming, which are normal, and then uh, you had equestrian riding. So that's where you're clearing obstacles and whatnot. Then uh, marksmanship shooting, so shooting with a high end pistol. But but one that I loved was fencing. I loved that sport. I mean, it was fascinating. First of all. And it was just so cool. I mean, it was really cool. Um, I got into it. And surprisingly, people look at me now as a firearms instructor and they think, oh, your best, best, uh, your best, um, you know, field must have been the shooting. It was actually my worst. I sucked at shooting at that age. I really was like terrible. I mean, (laughs) I laugh too, because one of the other things that I've become very grateful for is when I start to appreciate and value some of these experiences. So, Part of the team, uh, the pentathlon team at the headquarters level was um, the coaching. We had some amazing coaches and I was fortunate to have uh, an Olympian who was my shooting coach and fencing coach or my shooting coach and my running coach, sorry. And he was phenomenal. So while I didn't shoot as well as some of the other members of the team, um, where I was compared to where I ended up was all due to him. And what's funny too is like I look back and I tell my kids this, I'm like, you know what? Here's the deal. You're going to hear a lot of information from people. And I'm going to tell you right now that they're probably going to know more than you. And if you were to listen to them and actually take on board what they're telling you, you might actually be surprised by the results. <laughs> Cause I was like, <laughs> I had to figure things out on my own. Like I was, yeah. I, I couldn't just listen to somebody say, this is the easy way to do it. I had to go and do it the hard way. Yeah. Well, we all learn through experience. This is, <laughs> it's funny. Cause we didn't, we, we've, we've spoken about some of these topics on the first round, but, um, I reminded of something right now because my son is five and he's, you know, a bull in a China shop, tons of energy. <laughs> and he absolutely refuses to learn from us, you know, which is funny because of the times like here we are going to homeschool the next year. And that's oh. like a weird thing to wrap my head around, but there's this excellent, uh, book series by Mary Pope Osborne called the magical Treehouse, And then they have the Merlin missions and she narrates the whole thing. It's on audible. They have regular physical books, but the audible is awesome. Cause they'll actually sit still and listen. You're kidding. And I'm going to, I'm going to get her on the podcast, but one of them, you know, like Merlin sends the kids out to these different locations in time and space and they have to bring something back for them. So they have to find the four keys to greatness. And so they visit Alexander the Great on one of these missions. And Alexander the Great is a 12 year old prince and he's great at everything, but he's a total asshole, (laughs) right? He's he's the best runner. He's physically strongest and he's all these things, but he's still thinks he's got life figured out, which yeah. is so true of like, you know, young, aggressive men. Right. right? And uh, what they figure out when Aristotle's his teacher, really cool stuff. But what they that. figure out is that one of these cornerstone pieces to greatness is humility. And that's, it's, I remember my dad telling me, be humble, be humble for my whole fucking life. And I never got it. And then I'm 19 years old and I'm talking so much shit on the football field that my coach <laughs> actually benches me. <laughs> For the second half of the year. And I was like, why are you benching me on the fuck? I'm the best player on this defense, yeah, not yeah. just the defensive line, yeah. the whole fucking defense. And he's like, kid, you're uncoachable. Oh, and until you learn to listen, you're going to sit and watch a kid that's not as good as you play in front of you. Oh my God. 
maybe next year. And I was so pissed. I've, I've fucking transferred schools, but the lesson was learned and it was a brutal, brutal lesson to learn. Right. And I don't want that for my son, but getting back to this, you know, this book, one of the ways they explained humility was in a way that I, I had never heard it before. They said, humility is the ability to learn from others. Mm. And it just, I was like, fuck. I wanted to just rewind <laughs> it over and over, over again for my son. Like, please, please pay attention to this. This is critical, oh critical God. if you get this now and not the hard way. You know, well, first of all, I cannot say enough good things about humility. And, and I learned humility the hard way of sorts because, you know, for me, humility came in the form of losing teammates. And it was one of these things where, you know, you're, you're downrange and you don't really take, I mean, now we have a better understanding, but back then you don't realize that it's, it, it, it could be over that quickly. And it, it, you could be the very best, have the best equipment, best mission, doesn't matter. You know, you can still find your way on the losing side very quickly. And like that was, that was my, I, I guess my really hard reckoning with, with being humble and, and the humility that goes about with, uh, with being humble. Um, and it also forced me to really look at life a lot differently, to not take things for granted, to not, to not try not to be the dick because you may never get a chance to make that up. You may never get a chance to say what you meant to say versus being the asshole and saying what you did say. And it's, it, you know, and I had to take that same approach with my kids. Now that my boys are older, they are, they're, they're, they're teens, late teens. It's, it's, it's easier and harder. It's easier to have a conversation because they're somewhat of an adult and it's harder because they are in that mode where they know everything. They have all the answers and so I just have to kind of sit back and just uh, like the way I, the way I associate is very similar to this, this author that you're saying where I tell them like my job right now, like you were, you were a prince in my kingdom and my job in my kingdom was to protect you and to raise you. And now my job is to kick you out of the kingdom and to guide you in how to go and make your own kingdom. So now my job is no longer as a king, but more as a knight to give you counsel and to guide you through counsel on how to create your own kingdom. And they're like, they can take that. They can like, oh, okay. So you mean um, um, it's on me? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it is on you. And one of the first lessons that you need to learn is to, to seek counsel, to really, to be able to go out and to listen and to take that information on. Because if, and I, I got this rammed down my throat very early on in my naval career, which was you have, two ears and one mouth, which means you should listen twice as much. And it took a while for that to set in. But once it did, it was amazing. And my, and my, my appetite for learning became insatiable. Like I would, I'd, I would like, Kyle, what can you tell me about this? Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Like I'd want to learn just for the sake of learning about it. Even if I never had any interest in doing it, I just wanted to learn. And because I felt like that information like gave me power, gave me substance of sorts. And the more of that information I could take on, the more substance and power I would have. And so like, man, I wish I had learned that lesson at your son's age as well. I don't think he's got it yet, but yeah. Well, he's in a better frame of mind to try to get it at least. Yeah. yeah. He, he, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unique thing because I have to find ways for others to teach him. And thankfully, he listens to his jiu-jitsu coach right across the street at 10th Planet and, you know, his teacher at Waldorf when we had him in school there. And 
you know, so it's just a matter. And then he listens to the stories. He listens to Mary Pope Osborne. So, you know, it's, it's a really good thing that he will listen to others. But you uh, know, the, the thing about the respect. stories, and I, I hate to interrupt you, but it's just so important how valuable stories are and how we've kind of forgotten, you know, like history is nothing but stories told from one person to, oh my God. So sorry, I don't know. How that was that me went. last time. Keep yeah, going, brother. It's on. It's, it's on good. airplane mode. I don't know how they got through. Bastards. The um, watch isn't. Yeah. Oh <laughs> damn it! Damn it! Good call. Technology. There you go. Um, but um, stories. Stories are so important, and in, in their history, and they're passed down from one person to the next, and we've kind of lost track of that. I love this. the The vehicle that she's using to deliver her message is brilliant. It's fantastic. And it's so important that we continue to tell stories in our own way. So I just wanted that, that really resonated. I was like, I'm going to check this out. I don't care. I don't have kids anymore, obviously, but I still want to check this out. This is so cool. Yeah. It's super cool. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's funny as it read as we were starting with that, that book series, I was reading Lame Deer Secret of Visions by John Fire Lame Deer. It's a brilliant, brilliant book from a Native American. And uh, he talked about when he was a kid, you know, a lot of the differences between, you know, white America and, and, and Native Americans or Indians, as, as he calls it. I know that's a, a trigger word for some progressives, but he mm. calls himself an Indian. Um, how they would never beat their kids. They would let their kids do anything, but they would use stories and different things to kind of curtail the the misbehavior and get them to, to somehow yeah. rally into yeah. what the tribe needed, you know? And uh, one thing he said was he was so energetic. The only time he'd sit still was for stories. Right. Right. And like that, it was like, oh, like, oh shit, that was me. And that's him. That's perfect. So like, let's just roll with that. Right. Like, let's just lean into that. I mean, like I can remember, cause I obviously I'm, I have a, I have a problem with like hyperactivity. Um, it still plagues me to this day. But when I was a kid, I can remember sitting down for story time and actually sitting still. Like you couldn't get me to sit still at my desk. And that was a problem. I can remember like during the parent teacher conference, I'd always be embarrassed because my teacher would tell him, well, you know, he's a good student, but he just can't sit still, you know? But as soon as that book, like we go into the corner of the classroom and it had all the cushions and stuff. And as soon as we went over there, I would just sit perfectly still and be like, tell me more, tell me more. You know? <laughs> no, no, keep reading, keep reading. I didn't want to go back to, to schoolwork. I wanted to just sit there and listen and, and hear these stories because they were so imaginative and so, and you're, you're, you just ran crazy in your brain. So, oh God, ah, I miss that. I could sit, like, I think that's one of the reasons why podcasts and audiobooks do so well because they, they, they're, the, they're the next closest thing to telling stories. Yeah, they draw us back. I forget who was on Rogan's, but they were talking about that. It's, uh, it might have actually been, um, <laughs> it was Alex Jones. And, and oh, it was no funny way. because, you know, I mean, that just saying the name will trigger people. But Alex was talk- saying that um, the long form conversational podcast is really one of the last things that's available to people that stretches our ability to pay attention right? Like everything. And, 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 you know, there's been studies on Facebook and, and Instagram and many other forms of social media that shorter and shorter videos are the most watched videos, right? And that's narrowing down from even, even on YouTube from the hour long to the 30 minute, to the 10 minute, to the eight minute, and then one minute to 30 second videos on Instagram are even going to do better things like that. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, okay. Like when you're actually uh, trying to master the game of social media for, for growth sure. and for bullshit like that, the shorter video does better. Well, why is that? That's because our attention spans are shit and they're so getting true. systematically taken in that direction. But 
this right here is a way where people can actually lengthen that back out. Like, let me just sit. And even if it's while I'm driving or mowing the fucking lawn or taking the dog for a walk, like I have an ability to open that up to a longer time span where there is more depth than can be accomplished in a 140 characters on Twitter (laughs) or a 30 second video on Instagram. It's so true. You know, the one thing like, um, one of the negatives that we see about technology is something like the shortened attention span, right? That's just a byproduct of where we're at right now. But when I look at technology, I also see one of the positives, which is my ability to connect to something like a podcast for commuting when I'm sitting in traffic, for when I'm out in the yard doing my yard work, I'm listening, uh, you know, I'm buying time. So to take advantage of technology, to use it in a manner that supports me when I, you know, when, when instead of when I'm just mowing the lawn and running around with my head, you know, going nowhere or sitting in traffic and yelling and screaming at the car in front of me, there's an opportunity for me to actually grow through listening to stories. So that's, yeah. that's, the, that's I can't, you know, cause I, I look at the phone on the table and I kind of like uh, grimace at it because it's become somewhat, we, we've become somewhat slaves to it. And then there's some, some opportunities where I'm like, okay, I like it now. It's okay. Yeah. I can do well, this. And there's, there's pros and cons to everything, right? Like so the true. Phone, the phone is in the gray area. It it's is a gray area. Light. It's a gray it's area. It's very gray right we're now. Gonna, we're going to discuss some gray areas mm. for sure today. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, talk. I guess just talk about like how, when did you start to become really proficient with the gun? Was it in as, in the Navy or you um, know, as, you, as you started yeah. your business afterwards? So I think, so one of the things that people... I, I, I always like to share with people is that, you know, being a SEAL has many, many roles. Like, you know, the name itself is an acronym, Sea, Air, and Land. Those are the main insertion methods that we can use. So that's that's how we got our start, if you will, is because we were diverse. Um, so we have a lot of balls in the air that we have to juggle. And there are some some traits that are looked at as individual traits. Like you have to manage them on your own. We'll give you the instruction, the materials, and the time, but this is on you of sorts. And fitness, physical fitness, physical readiness is one, and shooting is another. So you go through a pretty decent shooting package in the beginning. Like you go out and you'll spend three weeks at a facility and you'll just get, I mean, sharp. I mean, razor sharp. And then after that, you get involved in all of your pre-deployment workup package, which has you doing everything from jumping out of an airplane to locking out from a submarine to fighting in the desert, fighting in the jungle. And that's all in preparation for your six-month deployment. So when you're on your six-month deployment, you're mission-focused. You're going out, you're doing your mission. Now at the business end of your mission is when you're using your tools like your, your firearms. And then you get back from that and you start to cycle all over again. So... You are responsible, in a sense, for maintaining that that skill. It's an individual skill. So, in the beginning, um, you know, after uh, after I got my first kind of like formalized instruction, which was at a facility um, called Mid South, it was it. I was like, oh my god, I love this. I love this. I love this. this is so awesome. It's so good. And and truthfully, I I wasn't that good. I mean, I was better than the average guy, but I was not happy with my performance. Like I knew I could do better. I knew I could be better and I struggled. And I really, I I remember I had some of the best instructors at the time, literally on my shoulders, yelling and screaming at me, don't do that, do this, get that hit, 
shoot it faster, you know, just all these kind of preps. And it, they resonated with me. And I, I was fortunate to, um, to, 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 to see that as an important, because the way I looked at it was this way, like the Navy's paying me, my country's believing in me to go out there. And, and when called to duty, my duty is very simple is to find, fix, and finish the bad guy. And my tool that I do that with is, is an M4 carbine. So I need to be the very best at it because not only is, is my country relying on me to do that, but so are my teammates. And I never wanted to let a teammate down. I never wanted to be that person that failed because, or that cost mission failure because I didn't do my job. So I trained relentlessly. And my first couple platoons, I was so lucky because I had some guys in there that were good shooters. And, you know, there's like three or four of us living in a, in a, in a house on, near the beach, or actually it was on the beach near the team area. And like, I can tell you, we'd sit down at the end of the day in our living room watching TV and we'd all have our pistols out dry firing. Like we'd have targets on the wall and we would just be practicing, just dry fire practicing. And it's funny too, because like that was normal. And that's like not normal for anybody else, but that was normal. <laughs> like just, we'd come in there, we'd sit down, we'd get, we'd eat dinner in the kitchen. We'd go into the living room, watch some TV. It didn't matter what was on. And we'd all like one of us, it, 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 like it started off kind of cool where nobody would do anything, but then somebody would grab their pistol, clear it, and then start dry firing and everybody else would do it. And for like hours, that's all we did. And then we finally go to sleep, wake up and do the same thing again the next day. Um, and then, you know, being, you know, having a limitless supply of sorts of, of ammunition to train with and facilities to go to. Back in the day, you know, we, we used to go to a, a public indoor range there in Virginia Beach and we had a contract with them and we would just go in there and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. Just go into the armory, grab our gear, go to the indoor range and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And shoot. So it took some time and my skill level continued to grow as I, you know, became more seasoned in the teams. And I, I can remember, I tell people this all the time about my, 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 my epiphanies that occurred. And the first epiphany that I had was when I saw very vividly, very clearly my front sight, like up until that point, it was always blurry, like fuzzy. And I just thought that was normal. I thought everybody sees their sight like that. Like they kind of see it, they kind of don't. Like that means that you're kind of looking at it, but you're kind of looking at the target. And for the longest time, that's how I shot. And I, at that point, I was shooting well up into the top one or two percent of the community. And then one day, my my swim buddy and I were sitting down, and I just like like during the day when I was shooting, all of a sudden the front sight became so vivid to me, like very vivid. And I was like, "Hey, can do you see your sight?" He looks at me like, "What?" I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you see your sight when you're shooting? Does, does, is it clear to you? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, huh. He's like, what, why are you asking? It's like, because I just saw my front sight for the first time today. And he was like, what? Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? Because, you know, I shot better than him without seeing my sight. And, I, and when I say that, I mean that I was like looking through it. I didn't just, I wasn't focused on it. So it was like little things like that that I discovered over time and then when i figured out how to how to work my trigger i can remember exactly when that happened i was in alaska we were doing this stress course and we ran the stress course from like 300 all the way down to the five yard line and i shot it clean and nobody believed me everybody was like oh that's bullshit do it again i'm like all right and i and i can remember because your heart rate is up and as your heart rate gets up you know your um your tactile skills start to suffer a little bit right and so 
I can remember as I would like certain positions in the stress course had you shooting from prone. And I can remember I'd get down in prone and I could feel my heart just like, just running amok. And I would just kind of like calm down. And I would just it, like, when my heart rate was at that high level, things slowed down. It's so weird. And I could just feel my trigger so precise like, and it would just like, I could feel it like gritty and itching closer to the actual sear. And when the sear would finally break and it would fire and it was happening in slow motion and everything was coming back. And then as soon as I'd finished the course of fire, I'd get up and then, then everything would speed up again as I'd run to the next station. And then I'd get down prone and I would just be like, everything slow down. And that was like the weirdest thing. Like I tried to explain that to people and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, that's how, that's how I figured out how to work my trigger. Like I had to be at that high stress level to actually see things slowing down for me. So once I left the Navy um, and I had to actually teach people how to shoot is where I feel like my shooting reached a new level and where I'm currently at. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's probably better than it was in the Navy, but I caveat it with it's different, you know, like th- there was a difference between the two. But if you were to put them on paper, yeah, now I'm I'm more accurate than I was back then. So it, it was a work in progress that is a continued work. You know, like every, um, like today I was doing some filming for some tutorials, if you will, and like trying to pass that information on to the next generation of folks and whatnot. And, you know, like, like we were saying, like, here are the lessons that I learned. Here's the mistakes that I made. If you can avoid these, you're that much ahead of the power curve kind of thing. So it's been fun. Um, it's taught me a lot about myself, surprisingly, more than I thought, to be honest. Like I would have never thought that actually learning to shoot would be as educational for me personally. It's just one of those things. Hell yeah. (laughs) And you've, I mean, you've, uh, I I ask these questions because, you know, I've had the opportunity to shoot with you and Tim Kennedy and Shane Mm -hmm. Hines a couple of times now. And, you know, uh, one thing I mentioned before was I was introduced to you via email mm-hmm. before we met yep. on it uh, from my first striking coach, Vince Perez-Mazzola. Yes. And, you know, Vince is a JKD guy, trained under Dan Asanto, also has, you know, a, a fair amount of equivalency with other all the weapons, right? Crazy, and, crazy and talented. He's a jack of all trades. Yes. And, uh, you know, he had taken me uh, in 2012 out to Kentucky with a couple of Green Berets and a Marine Recon. And it was going to be the like our educational program with just the coaches. And I was there for combatives and, you know, they were going to run the else and the other things. And Vince was going to help me with, you know, those transitional pieces from, mm-hmm. you know, as you're, as you run out of weapons, you go and then to the hand to hand. Yep. Um, and it was awesome when I mean, we basically just, we shot thousands of rounds. It was, it was incredible. Um, but I, I really got to see his equivalency firsthand. So when he was saying, Hey, you have to meet this guy. He's at the range. Uh, he's he's yeah. pretty much, you know, one of the top dogs there in terms of education. I was like, Just whatever you say, coach, like, I got to meet Jeff, you know, and, yeah. and we went back and forth on emails, but just never linked up. And then we saw each other on at cafe with, with Tim and Shane. And I was like, oh, wait, are you? And you're like, yeah, yeah, you're. And I was like, damn, well, let's, and you guys were going shooting right there. And you're like, you can go. And I, can I run home and grab my Glock? Yep. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, 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 there's, there are a few people in, in this world who say, you know, if they tell me this is a book you have to read or this right. is someone you have to meet where right. I'm like, okay, done. Yes. Right. And, um, you know, your, your equivalency with this is, is, you know, you're a one percenter. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Um, 
there's a lot of questions that I have right now with regard to, away. you know, with, with, with regard to guns in general, in terms yeah. of, you know, like the, the times we're living in. And I think a message that I wanted to get across, you know, in our original podcast was that society is fucking fickle. You know, Boy, that ain't that ain't no lie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's you know, and I, and I and I mentioned this. You know, Don Miguel Ruiz when he first said the he first talked about the domestication of man mm-hmm. in um, the Four Agreements. I was like, that's a, a really pessimistic outlook on what humans are. You mm-hmm. know, and then over time, as I reread that and come to my own understanding, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's actually no pretty, fucking question, right? It's pretty true. We have all these agreements that we all agree upon. We all say yes to, and we just take it for granted as, of course you stop on red. Of course you go on green. Of right. course, this is the way that it is. Of course, you know, kids have iPads in their hand. Like it's just there. Um, but you look at Venezuela, you look at Greece, you look at all these different places and you see like, it can, it can fall in an instant. And you know, I, I mentioned before too, you know, as far as the stance on guns, and that's not necessarily what this podcast is about, but acknowledging the fact that most of my listeners are in New York City, LA and Austin. Sure. Pretty progressive places. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, people are on both sides of that fence, but Sam Harris wrote a beautiful article years ago after a mass shooting that really, you know, and he's one of the most progressive people there are, one of the most brilliant people there are, who is stating like, you are in charge of your own safety. And uh, there is a story you mentioned uh, about your time in Arizona that I think would be awesome to rehash. Because it, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> really help me remember which one we were talking. Um, I think you were shooting with some guys and, and the sheriff had to handle some <gasps> Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. Oh, that's a great story. Um, so I couldn't agree more with you on, on that statement that, you know, you're personally responsible. And, and that became very apparent as I left the Navy and started to commingle more with the, you know, average American. And so I worked at a shooting school out in Arizona, a great shooting school called Gunside Academy. And, um, I, I was teaching a class with a local sheriff's deputy, I'm sorry, local sheriff's, uh, sergeant. And, uh, like, second or third day, I can't remember what day it was, he called me to let me know that he was uh, going to be late because he had to go and deal with a uh, a complaint, you know, on jo- on the job. And I was like, yeah, no problem. I can handle this. So, you know, he, he shows up and he's just really kind of upset about the uh, the complaint and he's trying to let it go so he can get focused and, and get back into class. And he got to us like late afternoon. And I was like, John, I got this, man. You can go ahead if you want. And he's like, no, 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 you know, I don't want to, I need to get back in here. And so he went on to explain it during one of the breaks. What had happened was um, Arizona, where I, where I lived was uh, Yavapai County, which is like the fourth largest county in the country. And the, um, you know, the, the, the living out there is mostly rural and austere. And the, um, the calls that you get sometimes are not necessarily the best of calls. So, there was a couple who had relocated recently from central California, like the Silicon Valley area, tech area. And the husband would commute like Monday through Thursday back to LA and then back out and so on and so on. So the wife was out there by herself during that weekend time period. And apparently there was a ruckus outside that she called the, uh, the 911 line. And when the dispatcher picks up, you know, the first thing she asks is this, is uh, you know state your emergency, and she goes. Well, I think there's somebody trying to break in, and she goes. The 911 dispatcher asked the caller, "Are you in imminent danger?" And the lady stopped and was like, um, "Well, I don't think so." 
you know, but she's like, I don't understand. So the 911 dispatcher had to kind of clarify, do you see somebody breaking into your home right now? Can you see somebody outside of your home? And she's like, no, I can't see anybody. There's nobody breaking in my door. And she's like, okay, well, I'm going to have a deputy out to your home in about 30 minutes. And the caller was like, floored. Like, what are you talking about? 30 minutes. I want somebody here now. And the dispatcher had to explain, well, because there's nobody actively trying to to harm you right now or break into your home, um, the closest deputy is 30 minutes away. That's the closest. Um, I could muster somebody there faster in an emergency if you were in immediate danger, but you're, you're, you're stating that you're not. So 30 minutes is the soonest that I can get a deputy out there. So reluctantly, the caller is like, ah, you know, she puts up a fit and fights and complains. And eventually she waits the 30 minutes until the deputy arrives. Now the deputy arrived, but he started an external clear. So when he finally approached the house, the lady wasn't aware that he had already done that. She's just waiting, you know, she's just watching the clock and realize, you know, it's like 45 minutes now. So she's a little bit unhappy and she takes her unhappiness out on the deputy and the deputy is just trying to do his job and asks, you know, would you like for me? I've just done a external clear. I see that your trash can has been, um, you know, uh, like knocked over and your trash rooted through. It looks like there were some, some critters that got into that. And, um, you know, you can, you, you're going to probably want to take care to not, not do that. You're going to want to do this a little differently. So then he's like, would you like for me to come in and do an internal clear for your safety to make sure there's nobody in your home? And she declined. And so he's like, well, ma'am, if that's, if that's everything, then, uh, you know, I, I wish you a good night and, you know, let us know if you need anything else. So she's still upset and she's like yelling and screaming at this guy. I want your name. I want to call, you know, I'm going to call and launch a complaint because your arrival time or your response time is, is horrible. It's just, it's, it's, there's no way. There's no way that's reasonable. So he gives her all the information. And John, the sergeant, is the one who has to go out there and take the complaint. So he goes out there early in the morning. And uh, she's out in the middle of nowhere. And he goes out. And he sits down with her. And she goes in. And by now, she's had an opportunity to try to gather her thoughts. So she's very organized in her complaints. And so John sits there and listens and takes all the information in. You know, like acknowledges that she's un- 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 unhappy, upset about this. And you know, he finally, at, at a certain point, he's just like, ma'am, uh, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. Um, this, is, this is your life now. If you choose to live out here, you're responsible for your personal safety. Because if you call us to come out and it's a real emergency, I mean, we're coming out to do a report on your murder or on your rape or on your assault. We're not going to get here in time. There's nothing we can do about it. We have, you know, and he goes on to explain it's physics. If I've got only four deputies on on that shift and they're all in four corners to get to you, it's just not going to happen. And she just couldn't fathom that. She couldn't really grasp that because, you know, she'd lived in somewhat of a of a bubble, a sheltered bubble of sorts. And now that she's kind of like out there, it was a whole new, whole new ball game for them. Um, I I believe. This was something I didn't add in the last podcast, but I believe that John had a follow-up meeting with her, uh, with the couple, the husband this time, and both of them, I should say. And uh, they were wanting to have a conversation. And again, John said the exact same thing. And from what I recall, I believe they moved. Mm. They didn't want to be out where they were at. They had beautiful land. I mean, it was 
big, you know, big acreage out in the middle of nowhere, you know, great, great ranch of sorts, but they were so far away from what they felt comfortable that they moved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that story. It really, I think it puts a lot of things in perspective, but it doesn't just apply to people in rural areas. Mm -mm. And that's something that, that Sam Harris really irons out. And if I can find it, don't worry, guys. I got help on the show notes. Uh, <laughs> I got a homie coming in and help me with the show notes. Jose uh, from uh, Fit for Service is going to be helping me out. But um, if I could find that article and the link to it, one of the things he talked about on his podcast was you know, he lives in LA, you know, and, yeah. and he he had a friend whose home was broken into in a wealthy area, and they took you know whatever they could grab, some whatever stuff, not sure. a ton of stuff, but they grabbed an iPad and the Find My iPad was on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they knew the exact location of where the iPad was and the police refused to go out there because they were so busy that they're not going to go after a fucking iPad. It's true. Right? Now, now that's all. Who cares? Somebody stole an iPad. And right. if you're wealthy, you buy another one, big fucking deal. Sure. Or if you got the, the you know, $10 a month, Apple Care, you sure. get another one for 150 bucks, whatever the cost is. It's easy. It's not that big a deal. No harm, no foul. But what if she's home when that happens? It doesn't matter if the response time is eight minutes or five minutes. I'm that is you, plenty long enough for shit to hit the fan in a very real and I... and and life-changing way oh, without question. Well, I mean, I think it's great that you put it in those terms, right? Because response time is always going to be different no matter where you are. And it's sometimes the luck of a draw if there happened to be a unit nearby, right? Otherwise, they're, they're rolling from probably the furthest place. But when you think about the violence and just using just just because people can frame this right look at a look at a a five minute round and look at how much damage and destruction can occur in that five minute round right now imagine that happening where you're not trained you're not capable of matching that level of violence because one of the things that makes the sport so good is that it's it's an equality of mat it's a quality of the lineup there that's what it's it's a chess game in the source like see who made the wrong move but against somebody that's not equipped to handle that level of violence or not willing to recognize that that level of violence exists because that's the other problem people just sometimes don't want to acknowledge that that level of violence exists that's the hard sell i think people really don't appreciate how much how vulnerable they are in those five minutes even if it was two minutes even if it's one minute still like life changing injuries can happen that quickly in a sense and and they are they're terrible and i i really do encourage people to kind of take a step back and look at that and and i'm not saying that you don't call the police but you need to recognize that between the time that you make the call and the police arrive you're on your own how long that is and how well you're prepared to manage that is what we're really talking about yeah that's the key yeah. And it's important. And, and just getting back to what you were talking about, you know, when you leave your bubble, you mm -hmm. leave this country, you go out into the world, you go to other places and it's, you know, uh, I've been very fortunate when, and I mentioned this before many times on this podcast, but I met my wife on a tour for the troops on a goodwill tour no way. In, in Kuwait and Iraq. That's yeah. And we were out there. It was the armed forces entertainment that bring us out. And they used to do three fighters and two ring girls. No kidding. That way there was something for everybody. If they didn't give a shit about fighting they at least had some hot, hot I like it. Look I at, love you know? it. Man. Like, that's a pretty smart, uh, pretty that's smart, good. but that's good marketing. That's how we met and, I you know, totally hit it off. And, and, um, you know, those, those tours gave us so much more than just the experience of supporting the men and women that were over there. You know, number one, we were always welcomed and that's why we kept doing, I did, I think 11 or 12 of them. Holy cow. Because they, 
the response on when we were there was like, it was palpable. I love that. Everyone gave a shit that you were there, right? Oh, and that made us give a so shit happy. and want to come back, right? Yeah, right? And um, not to mention, we got to do a lot of cool stuff too, like shooting and things like that and <laughs> flying in, you know, Blackhawks. And, and it was, they were fun trips, but really eye-opening, you know, yeah. really eye-opening flying in a helicopter over, you know, the outskirts of Afghanistan by the Hindu Kush mountains and seeing where people literally light lamb dung to warm their <laughs> yeah. hut, yeah. right? Like yeah. this is how they're heating Ugh. their place in the winter. It's a different level and that's not violent. That's just a different way of life. And at it's the so same true. time, there is violence everywhere, everywhere, it's all over the world. And it, it is here in this country as well. And, you know, one thing, one point Sam makes again, and I, I, I don't want to just keep bringing him up, but we're not Australia. We're never going to eliminate guns. We're yeah. not an island. We have fucking humans being trafficked yes, in this country and for out of sure. this country. That we can for damn sure get guns and drugs in and out of this country. That's never going to end. So with all that said, uh, one thing that I found curious, you know, you're at the range the range is in Austin. It's yeah, in yeah. a very progressive town. And through all of this, since March, when quarantine started, yeah. you've seen some pretty interesting statistics. We have. Up. I mean, like, it, but I would say that we were starting to see it even before then. It just became, and before it was somewhat, like, how do I put it? The folks that we were seeing were trying not to be seen. Like they didn't want other people to know what they were doing because they were afraid that other people, if they knew that they were visiting, visiting a gun range would, you know, cancel them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So, um, but then, but then I think nobody gave a shit about that cancel after like March, like after that, everybody was like, no, I don't care. And and we we saw a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, just great information to take on and share with people, which is, you know, people started to recognize that, okay, uh, we're living in a pandemic and now things are different. And we saw a lot of people that were centrist and I, I call them reasonable centrist, the people that were, uh, I guess other people might call them swing votes, but they're centrist, meaning they were just right in the middle and they didn't, they didn't have a dog in the fight. You know, they didn't, they didn't really support gun control. They didn't really support pro-gun activity. They just were kind of like in the middle. They just lived their lives. They just raised their kids. They just went to jobs. And then the pandemic happened and now food shortages are out there. Uh, consumables become harder to get. Uh, you know, the, the, the likelihood of concern about, you know, more violence occurring because as, as we enter this pandemic for what, four or five months now, um, we've started to see the the decay. We started really the, we're we're seeing our society collapse in a sense from from being just courteous to one another, just being polite to one another. We're starting to see that kind of like I mean, people are getting stabbed for wearing a mask or stabbed for not wearing a mask. It's like really, but um, what we saw were all these people that were coming in and purchasing these firearms, and they were they they basically became one of the fastest growing demographics that we've ever seen. We're right now at about eight point five million firearms, and I'm I'm I don't know if the July numbers have come out, but when they do, I would be surprised if we're not over ten million, and that's ridiculous in this short time period. That's absolutely you got It's hard to it's hard for people to really understand what that means and wrap their head around that. You know, like just to put it in context, there's 330 million people in the United States. And in the span of four or five months, 8.5 million guns have been purchased. 
that's like a pretty decent percentage of our population. And that doesn't include the people who already have owned for firearms. So we've seen a lot of people. Now, those people that have come in as first-time gun owners, you got to put it in perspective. They didn't have a firearm before all this happened. They didn't have, they didn't invest in their personal safety with the with the choice to purchase a firearm until now. And so what does that mean? That means that there's a pretty big shift in their thought process. Like, oh crap. Once we kind of like we started to see the pandemic subside a little bit. And then just as the pandemic subsided, a lot of these folks that purchased firearms started to rethink their purchase. Like buyer's remorse started to set in like, oh man, you know, I don't know if this was the right decision. I don't know if I want to keep this in my home. And then the riots kick off. And now they're like, oh man, I am so glad I have this firearm. So glad I have, I'm, I'm, you know, because like that whole buyer's remorse thing, gone, gone. And we continue to see firearm purchases, you know, and, and what we're seeing is even though firearms and ammunition is becoming harder to get because it's just a, it's a supply and demand issue. Um, we're still seeing people like buying them nonstop. So when we look at those demographics, a lot of the people that are buying firearms are people that are also potentially started off as anti-gun but now have swung their vote a little bit differently because now they recognize that this is this is different this is you know when when we didn't have to deal with all of this stuff and we could be amiable about our positions and our viewpoints i could i could potentially be amiable about that but now they're they're recognizing that that's that's not the case anymore and i i find that very intriguing and interesting because you know like trying to learn people's why why are you all of a sudden purchasing a firearm why what what has led you to do this when you historically felt like you didn't need to, or even before then you were against it. And so we're seeing a lot of that. And like you said, yeah, we're in, you know, we're in Austin, central Texas. This is like, this is a very different frame of mind to compared to the rest of the state. And I, that's what I also value. I find valuable is like, look at what's happening here. If we're seeing this here in, in the state, you know, in this part of the, the state that is, you know, it's different in their viewpoint. That's a big thing to take on board, to st- take a step back. And even before the pandemic, we saw so many people that had realized that they wanted to live without fear. Many of them were either gay or lesbians, or they had different viewpoints that were confrontational in the public to the point where they were afraid for their own safety. And they were tired of living in fear. And some of the best conversations I had were with that category of people that came in. And I was humbled by that because it was it was very it was very interesting to see the change, the metamorphosis of some. Because in some cases, if you are in that type of category, you have to be anti-gun. Well, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. you have to be, because that's that's the that's the narrative. That's the talking points. You have to. And many of them are like, I don't want that anymore. So it's very different. We're, we're, it's very, it's, it's surreal in some cases because, you know, on both sides of the fence, I, you know, you're not supposed to like those people because they're against guns. And so that means that you can't like them and you can't support them. And I'm like, well, I don't really care what your viewpoint is. I don't care what religion you subscribe to. I don't care what your sexual orientation is. 
you you know you you're entitled to live free in this country that is your god-given right and my job is to ensure that that right exists and that you can live free from fear free of any kind of oppression that somebody would impose upon you because you are and just you know you don't have the strength to resist or you don't have the the, the faculties to resist. You don't have the tools to resist. That to me is why my, that's my purpose now. That's mm-hmm. how I view my, my purpose in this industry. Beautiful. Well, let's talk about, I mean, I, I guarantee there's some people raising eyebrows right now because you have a, a large amount of new gun owners, right? And that's like a lot, if there was a, if there was eight and a half million <laughs> new uh 16-year-old drivers. <laughs> Good of, point. Right? A lot of people saying, well, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> these guys got no experience driving and here they are behind the wheel. And of course that happens anyways. I don't know if it happens at that rate, but that does happen. Every does. single year, kids turn 16 and we got new fresh drivers on the road. So Every single year, we got people coming to this country who did not have cars or access to cars who are getting licenses and are driving. And I know that well, being in the Bay Area, you yeah. know, like we're from the Bay Area, we have a lot of people come in to work in tech that never drove before. And then they get so to drive weird. for the first time, right? Such, so weird. And your job, thanks to your skill set, has brought you to a point where you're informing people, you're educating them yeah. on what are the best practices. So let, I mean, let's talk a little bit about what that offering is for people who you know, for the listeners that are here in Austin, obviously go to the range. It's a yeah. phenomenal place. But for those people that are not here and, you know, don't have access to everything, but might be able to access some things like a handgun or a rifle or a shotgun, things like that. What, and, and by the, by no means am I saying everybody go out and get a gun because society is fucking over with. I'm not saying that. Of what course. I'm saying is that if you are interested in this, I want you to have the best education possible. And I'm sitting across from somebody who's knows a shit. Yeah. And so let's talk a bit about how you're educating people on some of those best practices and what are some of the the things to understand about owning a gun? Well, I think, first of all, I'm grateful that you pose that question because I feel like a lot of people, um, there's an op- there's a great opportunity to reach out and to try to help and provide that service and provide that educational value. And that is that is exactly what I'm trying to do. And there's only one of me. So it's difficult to try and multiply myself. So uh, what I've done to try to address that strategically is I partnered with a, a company that's an old company in this industry called Brownells. And they are very well-respected, outstanding group of individuals. And we now partner together to do a video series because that seems to be one of the best ways to engage all of these new uh, gun owners. And so the video series is called Daily Defense. And its purpose was to engage the new gun owner and provide them with opportunities to learn in their in the comfort of their home. The other thing I have to deal with is that we're in a pandemic. And so I can't necessarily get a lot of people out on the range. We're still kind of dealing with stay-at-home orders or six-foot radiuses and stuff like that that makes it kind of hard to do the hands-on stuff. So we tackle it through the video vehicle. And it's been hugely valuable. And the video series is designed to tackle one small little subject in a bite size. It's funny, you were talking about this earlier, but the videos are designed to be like three to five minutes in length to target that prime attention span that we see right now. And what it's what it, the goal is to hopefully provide all of these folks and even folks outside of that demographic a resource 
where they feel they can trust and go to and and actually sit down and 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 watch these videos and learn okay well here's what i probably should do uh, best practices for securing a firearm in my home or when you know maybe i purchase this firearm but how do i load it how do i even load the magazine you know what's the what's the proper and safe way to do that and and even going into some of the more advanced subjects that we will in season 2 and season 3 so I'm thrilled by that because the the responses that we've been getting from folks are, are are clear in the sense that they are enjoying it. You know, we're seeing a lot of views, a lot of shares, a lot of the metrics that you look for in social media. Um, but I'm not, I'm still not happy with that because I still want, you know, with 8.5 million new gun owners, potentially more, you know, we want folks to have a reliable resource to go to, to feel like they can... Um, in the comfort of their homes or at their leisure or at their pace, they can learn. And the whole point behind that is to eventually kind of like transition them to the next level. Like, okay, so now you feel a little bit more comfortable about these, what we consider basic topics. Now let's start talking, let's start getting you comfortable with, you know, the actual aspect of shooting, which is a whole new world for a lot of them. And so if they feel like they have a pretty decent working knowledge on some of the basics, they're more inclined to then want to go out and actually, when it's permissible, go to a formalized instruction, like whether that be private instruction or whether that be in a class setting or whatever. I feel like a great barrier to people wanting to do that is that they feel a little intimidated. They feel a little bit overwhelmed by that. So the videos are helping them to kind of take the edge off of that so that they feel less intimidated and more inclined to want to engage in that type of instruction. Because just like, I mean, you can learn a lot uh, driving with your parents. You can learn a lot in that sense. But ultimately, most kids go to a driving school and they graduate from that driving school and then they get their license. And so at some point, you know, formalized instruction is probably one of the, and, and by no means is it the only way but it definitely has its advantages that what I hope for is that we see more people taking advantage of that. Because there's a lot of other things that are going to come from that. You know, we're going to get people that are going to purchase a firearm. They're going to lock it up in their home and they just bought it because it helped to appease this nagging emotion, the fear-based. Then we're going to buy, we're going to have some people that bought their gun for the first time and they're going to want to look at, all right, you know what? I, I might want to carry this concealed. And they're going to go out and get their concealed carry license. And then there's going to be some folks that, you know what, this is actually, this is kind of fun. I enjoy this. And they're going to go out and they're going to continue to, to plink, you know, go out and target practice. There's going to be some that are going to find the sport aspect, the competition aspect of shooting very enjoyable. And they're going to go out and start participating in the, the sports shooting um, groups that are out there. So, you know, that's what I'm hopeful for is that, you know, we've, 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 turn the light on or open the door or whatever metaphor you want to use for folks to kind of, you know, maybe, get, you know, take a step outside of your comfort zone. And that was another thing that I, I try to impart on people is that I recognize that this is awkward for a lot of people. And one of the best uh, maxims that we live by in my community was get comfortable being uncomfortable because you're really not living if you're, if all you all ever are living is in your comfort zone, you're really not living life. You know, you're kind of not really taking advantage of it in a sense. So I'm hopeful that more people become 
comfortable with their uncomfortableness about being around firearms to the fact that they learn, they watch videos, they seek out guidance, formalize instruction, whatever the case might be. That's my ultimate goal is to, and, and for those that are, there's resources for them good resources that are going to kind of stretch past the, you know, like, you know, unfortunately the internet is the internet. And so there's, there's, there's both good and bad out there. So <laughs> we're hoping that we can start people off in the right direction in the good direction. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful, brother. Thank you. And you guys have put together uh, a really cool event that's going to take, was going to take place at the range at the end of the year, but yeah. now it's being made available online due yes. to the resurgence <laughs> and the uncertainty yes. of, uh, of travel and all you, that. <laughs> you're going to love this because, okay, so yeah, we're talking about the 12 labors and the 12 labors com- conference was a conference that my good friend, Craig Douglas and I put together. We, we started talking about this years ago and both of us have our own businesses that are very successful in their own right. So trying to trying to put together this monumental conference with both of our schedules being what it was, it's just taken us a while to do it. Um, so it was going to be the first weekend of December. It was going to be hosted here at the range at Austin. We had about 20 different instructors of all different fields coming in to provide folks with an, an opportunity. And, and the opportunity was to further, um, you know, further the, 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 the the positive prominence of ma- of male masculinity and and what that really meant you know so it wasn't just about shooting and it wasn't just about um that we had everything from you know jujitsu to stand up work to edged weapons to uh, you know like all on the combative side we had a lot and then we had some other stuff that was outside of the combative stuff that i thought was extremely valuable like fitness uh nutrition uh, finances, dress, your wardrobe, how to select your wardrobe, um, cocktails, how to enjoy modern day cocktails. And then um, my one of my personal favorites was canines, bringing canines into your life and, and, and actually how to train them to be, you know, an actual member of your pack, if you will. So we had a very eclectic staff of instructors that was coming out. Yes, Due to the pandemic, we are transitioning to a virtual conference just because of the uncertainty. But what I love is the 12 labors comes from Hercules' 12 labors that he had to accomplish in order to be welcomed into um, you know, Olympus. But the first, the first labor, if you will, was the Minion Lion. And the Minion Lion, which if those that don't know, was supposed to be this monstrosity of a lion that was this hide was so thick that it was impervious to any of the sharp edged weapons of the time the spears and the arrowheads and the swords so hercules had to change his approach towards how he defeated the lion he couldn't use weapons he had to use his bare hands and he ended up which you could also appreciate he he ended up applying a good old chokehold on the lion and and won so we are having to do the same thing here. We have to shift from the in-person conference to the virtual conference. So this is kind of like our 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 first labeler, uh, you know, if you will. We're we're shifting fire here. I'm excited though because it's still, you know, obviously everybody is familiar with video conferencing right now. That's how that's how corporate America is is making do right now is through video conferencing. So it's a, it's a known entity, and we're taking advantage of it to try to keep this conference um, moving forward. It's uh, we have a lot of details that are going to be released probably within the next 
week and a half, two weeks. So more information is going to be coming about what that'll look like. But I'm excited. You know, I, I, I was excited about this conference to begin with. This is great. This is like a conference that, you know, we've uh, some things that have happened, uh, I think, since the last time we saw each other where we're, we're seeing so many father and sons register for that. You know, there, there, there's an opportunity, like we talked about, like the the bonding between father and son, uh, brother to brother. We have two brothers that are coming as well. I just think that is so awesome. I'm so excited to see that. And, you know, one of the things that really impacted me was um, there are several things that potentially could we could put at the altar of fault for where we're at in our country. And I think one of them is fatherless fatherless homes. Um, children growing up without fathers, particularly young boys. And um, what we're hoping for is that we provide an opportunity for young men to learn some of these skills that they didn't get a chance to have from their father. Like my sons are very lucky. They get, they get shooting skills delivered to them. You know, I take them out on a regular basis and, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that bonding time. But I recognize that a lot of families don't have that. And right, wrong, or indifferent, what we're hoping for is that we can be um, an outlet for some of these young men and even young adults and even full-grown adults to come out and participate in that. There was a video YouTube channel out there and I can't remember it, what it is, but when I watched some of the videos, it just was, it was both, it was good for my soul, but also heart-wrenching because it was a, it was a, it was a, I can't remember what his name was now. Damn, it's going to drive me crazy. But he had grown up without a father and he grew up without knowing things like how to shave, how to, how to tie a Windsor knot, um, you know, how to treat uh, a woman from a man's perspective. He, he grew up without that. He had to learn that on his own, which kudos for him for doing that. But he created this YouTube channel to pass information along to young men to be able to learn that. So, you know, in a sense, that's, that's another kind of like avenue that we're trying to do with other skills. We're trying to provide that for people that didn't necessarily have that. Or maybe you did have a father, fantastic, but he wasn't the the type of father that taught you jujitsu or that taught you, you know, cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my oldest just turned 21. So he got a crash course in, in bourbon, you know, so that was interesting. His facial expressions were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but I got a chance to kind of teach him about the finer points of, of bourbon here, uh, which... I'm hopeful that down the road he was grateful for. I don't think at the time. I think at the time he was just like, can I just drink a beer? I'm like, yeah, go get a beer. Go get a beer. <laughs> that's so awesome. that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. And you guys have, you know, the who's who. You're yeah. John Wellborn. Yeah. Who's out in B Cave. You got Rob Wolf. Yes. Also, well, you know, both these guys are local and I got Rob coming on the show here. He just, just released another book, uh, Sacred Cow I, I with Diana Rogers, which is phenomenal. I love um, that. So he's coming on soon. I'm going to get John Wellborn on. I've been on his podcast. and Great dude. Great, great, great guys. We got Absolutely Tim Kennedy. You mentioned yeah, Tim, Tim earlier. Tim's coming on. Mike Ritland from the canine stuff. And we got, so, I mean, so many great instructors on all the other aspects. You know, and and that, that the diversity is, I think, what is appealing to people. You know, you've got guys like John Wellborn, who is just a genius when it comes to human performance, physical human performance, and general preparedness for for the type of activity that we all want, which is longevity. We want to be around for a long time. Um, he's also a good friend. I've known John for like over a decade. Um, great guy. So, and then Rob, Rob is just one of those guys that has he's taken the nutrition market and turned it on its head. Not twice, but three times, you know, with these three different books that he's come out with. So I can't wait for this new book to come out. And and he's a good friend. 
um, that I'm so glad relocated here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, since the last time we were on, we there's somebody else that is relocating to Texas. Don't know where exactly, but Joe Rogan made it official that he's leaving California and coming to Texas. He's so gonna that, be podcasting just down down walking distance from here. I don't want it. You're kidding. Yeah, man. Oh, uh, Doctor Peter Atia, uh, Doctor Michael Ruscio has been on the show as well. So oh, just moved here. That's uh, fantastic. Dr. Paul Saladino. I mean, we're getting. We're getting some good folks. I that are I'm here. so no excited question. to hear that. Yeah, no yeah, question. yeah, yeah. Exactly. We're seeing, uh, and you know, maybe it wasn't under the best of circumstances that they're they're here, they're moving moved here. But I'm grateful. I'm yeah. grateful for it because it gives us an opportunity to have that type of connection. Um, you know, Mike Ritland, who is the um, the canine guy, he's a former team guy, and he he's started an amazing business that is fantastic as far as family family pets and training dogs and getting them uh, to to a to a very comfortable level. Like uh, I have a Belgian Malmois that we put through his training program and she's just, I mean, she's, don't get me wrong. She's all Mal. She's all Mal, but she's just so well behaved that, you know, it's, it's nice. It's good because a dog like that, an energetic dog, like a Mal, even a shepherd, you've got to have those boundaries. You got to have that purpose. They, They have a purpose. They need that purpose. And she does, thank goodness. And so you know, she's been kind of reared in that sense. And I'm excited for all of the other folks that Craig's got. I mean, we got some guys that are just fantastic at what they do that are coming out there that I, uh, good friends of mine that I'm happy to see involved. I've got a lot of, there's a lot of folks that actually, you know, I, I know of, but I don't have intimate knowledge of their trade craft. And so I'm looking forward from my perspective of getting in and sitting down and becoming a student and learning. You know, we talked about that, like that is something that I value. I want to listen, tell me your story tell me your why so that I can uh, bring that on and appreciate it from my perspective and, and and apply it wherever I can. So I can't wait. I mean, I'm super excited, a little disappointed, but you know, as, as we, as we just kind of settle with the new direction, I think it's going to turn out to be just as good as the in conference. We'll miss some of the things like the interpersonal interaction, but that's just because we had to the future conferences excuse me, the future conferences that we'll do, will be in person and we'll get it then. So yeah, we may have to make amends right now, but we're going to play it forward down the road. I love it, brother. Well, me we'll too. link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, where can people find you online? Where can people get a hold of you? You know, I am on all the social media platforms. And so the best way to find that social media platform is go to my website, tridentconcepts.com. And um, you can find my Facebook, my Instagram, my YouTube channel. Um, you know, all that stuff. I try to link on my website because it's just easier to point people there rather than try to remember all the, all the different uh, call signs or <laughs> tags or whatever they are. I don't even know what they are for, for my handles. I don't know what all of them are. I just know where to point people. Go to my website. It's there. So perfect the brother. Yeah. Jeff, thanks so much for doing this. Mm. Not once, but twice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute well, pleasure. I, I'm glad. I really, you know, it's funny because you're, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to repeat everything as we did, but I'm I'm going to be pretty honest in the sense that I feel like we did a damn good job of covering everything that we did on the first one. Yeah. And even more. And then some. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. some. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. that was awesome. Well, I look, forward, I look forward to the next time we get to shoot together and hang. No doubt. And uh, very much so. Awesome, Thank you brother. so much, brother. My pleasure. Thank you guys for tuning into the show today with Jeff Gonzalez. I'd love to get some feedback on this. So hit me up at Living with the Kingsburys. You can hit me in the DMs or you can write on a post. Uh, please remember, if you are writing on the post, to to be generous and kind. <laughs> I, I don't mind putting out episodes that are a little controversial or fly in the face of our own personal beliefs because I, my goal is to stretch people's minds. And, and I think um, 
you know, as I've said in the past, and I think even on the show, it's it's uh, it's not. This isn't doomsday prep. I'm not buying you know every fully automatic weapon I can and thousands of rounds. I'm getting a bunker. I'm not doing that. But I am saying, um, these are different times. This is a different time than we've ever seen before across the world. And uh, I certainly feel a deeper sense of peace knowing that um, we're covered. We're at least covered at home, you know? And I think that's 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 was one of my key takeaways in talking and working with Jeff. And the education piece, if it is something that you're going to do, you need to learn how to do it properly. And uh, I think finding uh, Jeff online is going to be a great resource for you guys. Love you all. See you in a week.